right. Would you join me? Matthew chapter 5. Thank you for singing with us this morning. Matthew chapter 5. I want to kind of jump pretty quickly into our text. But as we're locating that, I, I do want to ask you a follow-up question to what you just sang. As you're finding Matthew 5, and I hope you'll follow along in, in your copy of the Word of God, though the verses will be on the screen also. When you just sang, uh, I surrender all, and you directed that to God, uh, I hope that's true. We've been hitting a lot of very specific things in the words of Jesus recently in the last few months, uh, really since we've hit chapter 5, the kickoff of the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about you guys, but one thing I'm finding is these are extremely practical words from Christ. These are things that once we understand what they're saying, we can do it. I mean, it's like, man, and most of us would have to admit we need to make changes each week. I, I would be shocked if anyone's been in here the last two months. I know I've been getting hit by these texts of Christ, these words of Christ, and I'd be shocked if anyone's like, oh, I'm good in all of those things. Uh, I highly doubt that. And so I, I hope that we really will surrender and, again, be changed and impacted, becoming more uh, what Christ is calling for, letting the Holy Spirit work this out in us. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Hey, good news. We're going to cover five verses today. Lord willing. Lord willing, we're going to cover five verses. I think we will. If he wills it to be so, that's the plan. Anyway, look at verse number 33. Uh, Jesus is continuing something that he started back in verse 21. Today will be kind of the fourth area uh, that he has done this, all right? Just as a quick refresher, I did not put this on the screen, but Christ is saying, I didn't come to abolish the law. Actually, I fulfill the law. He uniquely is the one who fulfills the law. The law was about him. No one else could say they fulfill the law. He's not saying I keep the law. He fulfills it. It was about him. That puts him in a unique position to speak about the law. He says it's all going to take place. It's all going to be fulfilled. And because of that, he says, do not relax the law. Now, I know I'm walking a fine line the last few weeks, but I think any Christian should be able to acknowledge, any true Christian, we do not get saved from our sins by keeping the law. We know that. Jeff, you hammer that all the time. It is only by grace. But I challenge you, as you listen to the words of Christ, and we're one who focuses on grace around here, God does the saving. But once Christ saves us, His Holy Spirit comes in us, and as we walk in harmony with Him and in the love that He provides, it never leads us to do less than the law. Jesus doesn't relax the law. His message is not a relaxing of the law. It's, it goes beyond even our natural understanding of the law. And so Christ has already hit three areas, right? You've heard it said, as long as you don't murder, you think you're fine. I call you, don't even have anger. Don't be angry and insulting toward people. So here he goes into a couple of commandments out of the Ten Commandments. Furthermore, Christ says, you've heard, don't commit adultery. And you think as long as you're not committing the act of adultery, you're doing fine. I tell you, don't even look at a person with lustful intent. So there he's drawn in teaching on adultery and on covetousness. And so he's combining a couple of the Ten Commandments there. Then he gets to divorce and he says, you've heard it said, 
it, you know, kind of what the idea that you've been taught is if you have to have these divorces, well, at least do your paperwork and do your certificate and release them to go be divorced from you. Maybe they want to get remarried. Christ says, I'm calling you, don't even get divorced. Is he relaxing the law? No, he's not relaxing the law. And so here comes a fourth area that Christ is going to present to us, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. So here's kind of the teaching that their rabbis had been teaching them about the Old Testament. And this is certainly not a bad quote. But this is not a direct quote of one passage of Scripture. It's pretty close to Leviticus, but it's not exact. And so we'll see in a moment that it's a compilation of ideas. This is, this is good teaching. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old. Watch it. Here we go. You shall not swear falsely. That's what you've, you've heard. You shall not swear falsely. Some of you have had someone in your family, maybe your grandmother, when you would say something, ah, 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 not in my house, right? Jesus says, here's the word that they were hearing, and notice what they would emphasize, right? You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's what you've been taught. You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. You better perform what you've sworn to the Lord. And as is usual practice in these six areas, verse 34 here, Christ comes again. But I say, this is not contradicting, abolishing, lessening. This is Christ who uniquely is qualified to do this, clarifying. So here he comes. But I say, that's what they've taught you. But I say, take a closer look, and here's Christ's teaching. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. I swear by heaven. You're going to see what Christ pulls out here. You're going to see what their habit was. He's not just giving random applications and possibility. This is what they would do. They literally had perfected these things strategically, intentionally. I say to you, verse 34, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. Well, what's wrong with that? For it is the throne of God. Verse 35, or by the earth. I swear by the earth. No, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem. I swear by the holy city of Jerusalem that what I told you is the truth. No. Why? For it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head. I swear on my life. Don't do that. Why? For you cannot make one hair white or black. Unless you read that and say, oh, that's not true. Revlon makes a product. It's right over here. Walmart, you can, uh, okay, let me go ahead and say, this is not a text prohibiting coloring your hair. It's not, some have actually used that. You're not supposed to, the Bible says, you can't make your hair white or black. And it's wrong. To, that's not what this is talking about, okay? It's not what it's talking about. And that you can do that is not a contradiction of this. Hopefully we see the meaning in a moment. Well, if we're not supposed to do that, then what are we to do? Verse 37, our Lord says, let what you say be simply yes. Will you do that? Yes. Okay. Or 
No. Did you do that? No. I'm telling you, no, I did not do that. Just let it be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So already your minds are wondering. You see three points on your handout. We'll actually emphasize two main thoughts and then we'll need to make some draw that out into our life and try to end with very practical things maybe more than we have done things that probably you think this is just really too simple uh, to even have to say but sometimes we do need to say the simple things uh, three thoughts this morning well first before I get to my first point look at verse 33 because I alluded to it a while ago Jesus says again so here's another category that you've heard that it was said to those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform, shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn this is not exactly a direct quote I alluded to this a while ago so then what is it I believe it's a compilation of more than three but at least three passages look on the screen Exodus chapter 20 here's part of the Ten Commandments look at verse 7 Exodus chapter 20 verse number 7 here's what the Bible says so let's start taking it in we just saying I surrender all so here's what our Lord tells us you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain you're like Jeff I don't really see that in the text oh it comes into play you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain well I didn't mean it that's the point of taking his name in vain when you use God's name without proper meaning, without proper purpose. Why is that so important? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. If you're not guiltless, means you're guilty. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Notice Leviticus chapter number 19. Look at verse number 12. This one would be the closest to Matthew 5, 30, uh, 33. Look at verse number 12, Leviticus 19. You, so hear the Bible... You shall not swear by my name falsely. God says you shall not swear by my name falsely. You swear by God's name and you don't follow through. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of, of your God. I am the Lord. So you go out and say these things and then you don't follow through. It tears down the name of the Lord. You shall not do that. Numbers chapter 30, if you would, number, well, it'll be on the screen. Numbers 30, look at verse number 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, so this does happening, I'm acknowledging this right now. The Old Testament speaks about this. Here it is, here's one of the places. We've done this, right? If a man vows a vow to the Lord, there's one category, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of, you, out of his mouth. If it proceeds out of his mouth, then you need to do it. That's what the Bible's calling us. You vow a vow to the Lord, then you need to keep it. Secondly, if you swear an oath to bind yourself to a pledge, you need to do all that comes out of your mouth. You shall not break your word. Three thoughts this morning as we turn back to Matthew 5. Thought number one, and this will be, honestly, guys, this, uh, well, probably two-thirds of the message because it has three sub-points. Number one, probably the main, one of the two main thoughts this morning, avoid taking oaths and swearing. I'm telling you, this is a very, see, Jeff, is this going to get as technical as last week? Not at all. Very simple message, but one you, you may be thinking, well, you could probably teach this in ten minutes. We maybe could. Get, just get up, read the text, make a few statements of fat. But I want us to kind of sink our teeth into it and let the Lord just wash us over and evaluate us and let the Holy Spirit evaluate our lives in the past so that he can, you know, correct us for how we need to live in the future because many of us 
have been guilty of doing some of the things that this text calls for us not to do. Number one, avoid taking oaths and swearing. Look at verse 33. I believe the word on the street and the way it had been taught emphasized one main word in verse 33. Do you see the word that they would have emphasized? Jesus says again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. I think the emphasis there, hey, don't swear falsely. Notice verse 34, I believe Christ emphasizes two other words. But I say to you, obviously he emphasizes, I say to you, so here's this new clarification by the, one, the only one qualified to do it the most, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. What they've been impressed is don't swear falsely. Christ says, do not take an oath at all. So I want to, I'm going to propose to you this morning that Christ is teaching us, even if you plan on following through, even if you do follow through, don't make oaths and don't swear. Why? At least three reasons I want to propose to you. Number one, oaths are often cloaks for lies. Oaths and swearing are often these cloaks that we put on to disguise and hide lies. Jeff, what do you mean? Well, I know I'm not the only one. Y'all remember when you were kids. We did this in Western North Carolina. I'm assuming you did it too. I know sometimes there's little pockets and regions where phraseologies and words get used and maybe they don't make it out of that region. But a lot of us covered up and excused our lying when we were kids. You know, you know how we did it, right? You're lying. No, I'm not. You did. You lied. Doesn't count. Why doesn't it count? Because I had my... What? I had my fingers crossed. You did not. I did. I didn't see it. Well, I did. It was over here. He says he had his fingers crossed. Uh-uh. Yeah. I'm, oh, man. Think that through. That is so stupid. What we're saying is, if I have my fingers crossed, I get to lie. What is the thought there? And the worst thing is, we were dumb enough to buy it. Oh, okay. Well, he had his fingers crossed. I guess he doesn't have to do it. What were we thinking? By the way, we do the same thing today. We've grown up now, so we don't fall for that anymore. We don't use that logic. But what we do now is we, we categorize, even subliminally, lies. Remember, they're lies into these little categories. They're little lies. They're white lies. Those are, that's kind of great. That's a little worse than that. And then there's big lies, and the ones that parents hate the most are that you looked straight in my eyes and told me a bold-faced lie. I can't believe you lied bold-faced to my face. What's up with that? That really irks. Here's the thing. They're all lies. They're all lies. And so as we look at our text this morning, I took out going to Matthew 23. We'll get there down the road sometime, okay? We will get to Matthew 23 down the road, Lord willing. But for now, let me kind of give you what's happening here. Do you see how Christ says, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by the earth, don't swear by the city of Jerusalem, don't swear by your own head? What is he talking about? If you're taking notes, write this. The Pharisees of Christ's day had projected upon the Jews a list of rules that are man-made rules that were qualifications to give teaching on when vows had to be kept or not. And so they would govern which vows need to be kept 
by these man-made rules. You remember the, the Bible says to honor the Sabbath. They taught the Jews to honor the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees weren't satisfied with you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so they wanted to make all these lists of man-made rules, how much you could pick up, how much you could write. Could you help someone medically if there was a medical emergency? How much of these? So they made all these man-made lists of rules. Same thing. When it comes to vows, they made lists of which ones have to be kept. William Barclay helps us here to catch it. He writes the following. He says the Jews, and again you would see this more in Matthew 23, the Jews divided oaths into two classes. Those which were absolutely binding. You've got to do those. And those which were not. This is how they did it. He writes, any oath which contained the name of God. So as you're giving the oath, you bring in, he says, any oath which contained the name of God was absolutely binding. Well, you have to do that one. Why? Because you brought God's name into it. He says, any oath, this is what they're thinking, any oath which succeeded in evading the name of God was held not to be binding. Later on he writes, if he swore by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by his head, he felt quite free to break that oath. Not intending to break that oath, but hey, if times get rough, it's not going to work out. That's okay if I break that. Uh-oh, I brought God's name in on here, over here. I'm going to have to keep that one. Man, that's going to really cost me. Later on, he writes the following. So what is the thinking? He says, quote, the idea behind this was, now listen, the idea behind this was that if God's name was used, God became a partner in the transaction. Whereas if God's name was not used, then God had nothing to do with the transaction. And so what they would do is they developed this whole way of evading. It became quite an art of how to word your swear. Why in the world would they do it anyway? To draw people's trust. I see that you're not trusting me, so I'm going to swear by the holy city of Jerusalem. Oh, they're real serious then. Well, maybe not. They're willing to break that one. And so they got pretty good. You would only draw in the name of God when you really, really mean it. And so they got quite good at Gaining credibility by something that is bigger than them, but also drawing people in, throwing them off, and cloaking a lie. They'll back out of it in a heartbeat if needed. So reason number one, don't take oaths or swear because oaths are often cloaks for lies. Number two, this one, I'm going to invite you to say, I don't really see it in the text. You're going to hear me use the word implying or implied. So I want you to go home and read this over and over, and I really feel like this is what's happening in this text. Number two, why not use oaths or swear? Because oaths are usually blasphemous. Grace for you, don't swear. Don't take oaths. Why? Because they're usually blasphemous. The name of the Lord our God is much more holy and to be treated more reverently than we give it credit. You got taste this. Do you realize that of all the commandments God could have given us, hundreds he ends up giving in the Old Testament, but we talk about the ten, and I'm not pitting orders and ranks, though honestly, if you look at the list, you can kind of see a definite order. Not taking our God's name in vain is listed third. It ends with coveting, don't covet. But it begins, no other gods, no idolatry, don't take my name in vain, remember the Sabbath, honor your father and your mother, don't kill. And then it finishes these other four. The third on the list is don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Now hear me, Grace, if you listen, the Lord is saying he and his name is not to be a byword to give you some credibility. 
I need some credibility. They're not believing me. So I'm going to call on the name of God. Stop it. Get your own credibility. Stop stealing from God's credibility to make your word appear to mean more. So stop doing that. You say, Jeff, I don't see this next thing exactly in the text. There's an implication in the text that we have probably all heard this month. I hope no one here has said this this month, but it may be that someone sitting here this, just this past week has uttered these four words that preceded a sentence. It's implied in the text. It goes something like this, and I don't say this loosely. I'm using this to illustrate what we hear and what we say. The four words are the following. I swear by God that I won't. I swear by God that I did. That was me. Or I swear by God that I will or that they will. And I swear by God that is what I have. Like, what are you doing? And then some, because they've gotten so used to doing that, they have a shortened form of that same thing. It's just two words. You've heard it. It's by God. And then they're sentenced. Has that been uttered by us this past week? By God, even if it kills me, I will. Do you know that in our group, we have said things like that in our life. I swear by God or by God I, and then they go with their sentence. And you're like, what is happening there? That is exactly what Christ is calling us not to, not to do. Now here's the tricky thing. The Jews in Christ's day would not intentionally and flippantly use the name of the Lord in vain. If they were going to take a vow that was so important, they would be very careful in how they brought in the name of God. Like, we really plan on doing this one. But they wouldn't throw it around flippantly. So here's what they did. They wouldn't swear by the name of God. They wouldn't use the phrases that I just used. So what they would do is they would swear by something seen as lesser than God. We're not going to swear by God's name, so we're going to swear by heaven or earth or, or Jerusalem or by my own head or my mother's life. That's a real common one. So we're going to go by something later. We're not going to bring in God's name. But guys, listen, that's the whole point. If I say this sentence, hey, go to the refrigerator and get me a bottle of water, bottled water. There's an understood. That's not a sentence. There's no subject in there. You have to have a subject to have a sentence. You just begin with a verb. Go to the refrigerator and get me a bottle of water. There is an understood subject, and the understood subject is the word you. You, you go get me to the refrigerator and get me a bottle of water. What Christ is teaching us here is the way these Jews were using their words and they thought carefully choosing their words so to swear by something less than God. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're actually swearing by God still. Why? It goes like this. I, they would think simply, I swear by heaven. Whose heaven is it? Look at verse 34. I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. Well, whose heaven is it? It's Jesus' argument. It is the throne of God. Oh, wait a minute. So there's an understood in there. I swear by God's, yeah, heaven. It's God's heaven. Okay, well, I might not ought to do that. Right, don't do that. I swear by God's earth, which is his footstool. I swear by God's holy city. Don't do that. I swear by the creation. I am God, part of God's creation. I swear by my own life, the, the life that God gave me. Stop doing that because whenever you bring God into it, and God is over all things, God owns all things. And so oaths are usually blasphemous. And oaths 
as we pointed a while ago, are often cloaks for lies. Let me give you a third reason why we should not use, just avoid them altogether, oaths and swearing. Why? Number three, because oaths are foolish and filled with risk. Well, I hope as you're listening, you're saying, Jeff, this pretty much is a message about swearing and whatever the second point. This is really simple. Please do not let the simplicity of this and say, this is stuff we kind of should have been taught back in Sunday school. Do we really need to spend time on a Sunday morning, a whole sermon? Apparently so. Christ gives it five verses to hammer this point home. That has to do with oaths and swearing. Oaths are very foolish. Oaths are filled with risk. Now, pause. Think with me. Why do people swear? So here's this person. And this person, and they're reminiscing from something that happened 15 years ago. They went on a hunting trip, but one of them's recollection of the events is a little fuzzy. And so this one claims to have been the one who shot the big deer, or the big bear, or the big whatever it was. And this was a, no, 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 that was me. And like, no, that was me, I promise. And this was, no, dude, I promise, I was there too. If you'll remember, that was mine. And they go back and forth. The way we settle our disputes is by swearing. Because this one's going to come over the top. He's going to say, I swear. I swear. My mom's got the album. We'll go, to, we'll go to the house and get the album, and you'll see. I'll bet you $100. And here stands the third party that they're arguing back and forth, trying to win. Like this person's almost the judge. Like, hey, well, dude, he swears. He's willing to put 100 bucks. You willing to put 100 bucks on it? Well, I ain't putting 100 bucks. You willing to swear? I'm not swearing. I'm pretty sure I thought I was. I swear. Okay, he wins, right? He came over the top with a swear. That's what we do. We settle our disputes. What are we doing? Listen carefully. What are we doing when we swear? We're swearing by calling on someone that is greater than us to witness that what we're saying is the truth, but it doesn't stop there. Not only is this greater person or greater thing brought in as a witness, a sobering witness, but if I'm lying, they are being brought in to correct and make up and to punish me if what I'm saying does not happen the way I said it happened. Or if I do not follow through, they will put a curse on me and damage will be done to me. And sometimes people say these, literally these foolish statements, may God strike me dead if I do not. And like, what are you doing? That is so foolish and filled with risk. Why? Listen. You say, but Jeff, I have every intention. And the way I recollect that it happened, I'm quite certain that's the way it happened. Have you ever, on it, parents, have you ever honestly just, you, you just knew that that's what happened? And like all three of your kids who don't really have skin in the game say, that's not what, uh-huh, I remember. And then, and then you get the album out and you, weren't, you were not wearing the clothes you thought you were, and it wasn't the year that you went to that vacation town. You're like, I, I just know that in 2006 we went to, and then you look at the pictures, no, that was 2007. Oh, aren't you glad your life wasn't riding on your accuracy? That would be very bad. Why is this so foolish to take these O's? Listen to me. Because you cannot control events. Only, but I fully intend to follow through. Only God sovereignly controls events. Only God can say factually what will happen five minutes from now. You say, well, today at 1 o'clock, I'm going to be sitting in a restaurant. You hope you will be sitting in a restaurant. But you can't say for sure. Only God can say for sure what will happen. 
You and I did not even get to choose the color of our hair. Verse number 36, do not take an oath by your head. Why? That's so foolish. For you cannot make one hair white or black. You didn't get to decide what was done. This was done upon you. God in his sovereignty made that decision. God may have another plan than what you have sworn that you will or will not do. It's foolish. Matthew chapter 12. If you want to flip over there, this probably be a good one. Very quick, just a couple pages over. Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 36. This is still Christ. Speaking about the future, he's uniquely qualified to talk about the future. Look at verse 36, Matthew 12. Jesus says, I tell you, hey, digest this. What if you went home and thought about this, these two verses? I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I didn't even mean it. Did I really say that? I don't even remember saying it. Five people are like, oh, you said it. We remember, you, you, said, you did say that. I don't even remember saying it. Do you guys know how many careless things we have said in our, in, our, in our lives? Christ says, I tell you the truth, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, declared righteous, and by your words you will be condemned. Guys, I think we wrongly assume that God is not remembering and weighing. We said it flippantly, but God is literally tracking, you said it. But I didn't really mean it. I was just swearing by heaven or by Jerusalem. I didn't attach your name to it. But God has taken a note. And what if, I am curious, what if God held us from the time we were born to this moment, held us strictly to every word and phrase we've ever said? If any of us ever in our life said, I swear by my life or I swear on my mother's life that this and, it, and you didn't follow through or it wasn't the way you recollected. I'm curious, if God strictly held us to that in this life, how many empty seats would there be here this morning from people who are sitting in them now? Careful with how you use your words. Don't make vows and oaths swearing by the name of God. I want to draw your attention for a moment, particularly about this one kind of vow. Be very careful. Vows that are made to God are particularly risky. Vows that are made to God are particularly risky. You're in Matthew chapter 5 again. Look back over there. Matthew 5, look at verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. I say to you, do not take an oath at all. What is Christ doing? I'm going to offer the following. This is to my knowledge, outside of one type of thing where there was a potential crime committed, I think it had to do with whether or not adultery took place or not. Listen, vows and oaths in the Old Testament were not required. And so I think what Jesus is doing, he's saying since oaths and vows in the Old Testament were not mandatory, Christ, 2,000 years ago in the Sermon on the Mount, is calling his people... To avoid, he's instructing his people, avoid making vows in the first place. It's not mandatory. Don't do it in the first place. Just stop. Have you ever done this? Think within yourself. How many of us have done this? You say, but I, I was really well-meaning. Or, man, I was so desperate. You ever said this? God, Lord, it's chapel of a hospital. Or when you're about to get a divorce or you've done something so heinous and it's about to be discovered and you're so desperate and you start doing these things like this. God, if you'll just not do that, then I promise I won't ever do that again. 
You ever said that? Or, God, if you'll just do this one thing, I promise from now on, I will do that. I swear I will do that. Don't say that. You say, Jeff, but what about this good thing in my life that I want to do? Or what about this bad thing that I need to stop doing? Listen to me. Do the good thing. Right, I need to make this vow. No, no, no. Do the good thing. Stop making these crazy, foolish, risky deals with God. Because once a vow is made to the Lord, we don't put as much weight to it as the Lord does. Because once vows are made to the Lord, they become extremely serious, much more so than we think in our minds. I'm going to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you want to flip over there very quickly, Ecclesiastes. Oh, what a fascinating book. I actually read this this week in my private devotions. Just an astounding book, not really knowing at the time that it would... Uh, I had a couple more verses out of here I just had to delete them Ecclesiastes so you've got Psalms Proverbs Ecclesiastes before Song of Solomon so it's written by Solomon let me back up to a couple of verses that are not on the screen so if you're not there you'll have to wait till we get to verse 4 let me just read up to verse 4 watch what what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 5 1 guard your steps when you go to the house of God, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Here come these people, they're going to offer animal sacrifices, their heart's not in it. He's saying it'd be better just to go and just listen to the teaching. For they do not know what they are, that, that they are doing evil. Listen to verse 2, hear it. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty, quick, hasty, to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. I'm skipping ahead to the end of verse number three. Um, end of verse number three because it says a fool's voice comes with many words. You know where we get in trouble? We talk too much. We just talk too much. In our prayer time, sometimes we're talking too much. We're not saying the right things. We're talking too quickly, meaninglessly, careless words. And the Lord's taking note of everything that we're saying. Verse 4. This is on the screen. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So I want to invite you right now. You may not even remember all of them, but I'm inviting you. Maybe the Holy Spirit would help you. Have you ever made a vow to God that if he would do something, you would do something? Or if he would not do something, you would stop doing something? Have you ever in your life made a vow to God and you didn't follow through? Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom, says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. God is this powerful being. You don't want to be the person he has no pleasure in. Pay what you vow. And in verse 5, is very clear. It seems to match what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 34. It is better that you should not vow a vow than that you should vow and not pay. And in verses 6 and 7, basically teach us, don't let your mouth get you in trouble. Oaths are risky. Oaths are often foolish because they're risky. Now, I'm going to invite you to go with me if you would. Let's continue this thought for a moment. Acts chapter 5, right? Flip over to Acts chapter 5. We'll not spend long here. We could spend a long time here. Matthew 5. I want to read 11 verses. And let us just feel the weight of it this morning. Ecclesiastes says, hey, if you've made vows, you better keep them. Be quick to keep them to the Lord. But it'd be better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not follow through. 
I, I hope the Holy Spirit is applying this to us. It's so easy for us to hear like, oh, yes, divorce, that's, that's something that was really interesting. That kind of got my attention in this, what was said about, wow, even looking with lustful intent and anger and, boy, I've got that. And truthfulness, uh, what is it? that ain't that important. It's 2019. It's the United States. We lie a lot. God understands. No, God doesn't understand. It's not okay. Chapter 5, look at Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the setting. The church was having some financial struggle, but it was okay because God's people were selling things and pooling their money together and taking care of the poorest among them so that no one lacked. God was meeting the need. And they even single out one particular person who had a piece of property and went and sold his land, and he gave all of the proceeds to the church, and the Lord used it to meet the needs of poor people. His name was Barnabas. So that was great. Barnabas sold land. He's just an example. Others did this. He gives all the proceeds. So with that is the backdrop, chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. All right? Barnabas did the same. They had a piece of property. They sold their property, verse 2. And with his wife's knowledge, she's fully in on it, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's what others were doing. They sell some land, bring a portion of it. But Peter said, so here he comes, brings the money. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, unsold, so go back in time a little bit, before you sold it, did it not remain your own? In other words, your land was paid for, you hadn't sold it, it was yours. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You could have done anything you wanted. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Great fear came upon all who heard of it. Some people were literally there. Others heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him, carried him out, and buried him. Wow, I don't even know what all happened there. That is serious. Peter realizes the gravity of it, calls him on it. He, he doesn't even really utter hardly anything left. He just dies on the spot and they bury him. Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. In my mind's eye, I can picture her coming in. Maybe with a little spring in her step, waiting for all the congratulatory and thankfulness, patting on the back how wonderful it was for you and your husband to get this money. It's going to be so useful and how wonderful you are. Verse 7, after an interval, interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. How come nobody's coming out and patting us on the back? It was a little strange. He did give the money, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, verse 8. Peter said to her, tell me, Sapphira, would you come over here? I've got to ask you a question. Tell me, whether you sold the land for so much, did you sell the land for this amount of money? And she said, yes, for so much. Right, that's how, that's how much we sold it for. Ah, wished you hadn't said that. 
Verse 9, Peter said to her, How is it that you, here is a husband and a wife, of all that you could have agreed to do, how is it that you have agreed together to test, listen, Grace View, how is you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Let's test the Spirit of the Lord. I bet he won't really think anything about it. Behold the feet of those. You see those guys back there? Yeah. Behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse number 11 is a commentary that follows up. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. People outside the church are a little fearful of what's going on. I don't think I want to be a part of that movement over there. People inside the church, they're scared. I would be too. Go back, if you would, briefly to the beginning of the passage. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Any sin there? Is there any sin there? No sin there. Look at verse number 2. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. I'm going to propose to you this morning that verse 2 by itself, separate from what's going to be said in verse 3 and 4, if only verse 2 happens, there is no sin in verse number 2. You say, wait a minute, Jeff, he kept back part of the proceeds. So? Not a big deal. The problem comes in verse number 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To keep back part for yourself. To keep back part for yourself, part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, what is, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men but to God. Jeff, do you not think that they lied to men? I do think that they lied to men, but that's not the primary problem. That is a sin, and that was a, a, a secondary sin. It was a, it was a bad sin. I, I'm going to give you, it's not in the text, I'm going to offer. Let's just suppose they sold some land for $250,000, and there's this great need. And what if in that, their heart's like, man, we really need to be a blessing, and God has blessed us, and their motives are pure at first. But then here comes pride. Man, everybody's been talking how great Barnabas is and how great those others that he gave all. I want that too. And so I want people to think that we gave all. But here comes greed and says, $250,000, that's a lot of money. What if we give one seventy-five dollars and act like one seventy-five dollars was the selling price? They'll never know that we kept back $75,000. Because be honest, $250,000, that's a lot of money. $175,000, that's a lot of money. And so we're on the same page. Yeah, we're going to tell them we sold it for $175,000. Sure, you, all right, we got it. Let's go. I'll take it by. You come in a little bit later. Everybody's going to pat us on the back. So, Jeff, what's the big sin? Listen. Somewhere along the way, after they sold the property, they told God, the Holy Spirit, we're going to give all this to you. And when it came to doing it, they reneged. And they lied to the Holy Spirit. And it cost them their life. And verse number 11 says, great fear came upon the whole church. In my mind, I wonder about that time if Peter went up and put his hand on people's shoulder and says, so how's your relationship with you and the Lord? Oh, it's really, yeah. Uh, yeah, I need to work on it. That's what I thought. Why don't you get home and do some praying? Yeah, I need to do some praying. How's your Bible reading lately? Oh, it's, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to work on that. Hey, have you been giving to the Lord like you should? No, sir. No, sir, not like I should. But I'm going to go right, yeah, why don't you go home? Yeah, that's right. Nobody lied to Peter for a while. Why? We know what happens. Don't lie to Peter. It's bad news. Back to Matthew 5. Let's finish this section kind of quickly. This is the main, this is the longest section of our message. 
Look again, if you would, verse number 34, because that's the one that kind of troubles me the most. I don't want to mislead you, but I do want to offer my opinion. So here we go. So you've heard, don't swear falsely. Perform your vows to the Lord, what you've sworn. Jesus says, I say to you, do not take an oath at all. So I've read quite a few people, and so some have come to this conclusion that Jesus' prohibition against swearing is really what it's talking about is frivolous oaths. The Jews have been taken frivolous by heaven, by Jerusalem, by the earth, by their own life. They don't really mean it. Jesus is meaning, knock it off. Stop doing that. But there are serious times and very important times when it's still allowed. And I'm not going to say that they're wrong on that, but I, I have a little different take. And I'm going to offer first, why do they say that the Bible still allows for very important oaths, very important times of swearing? You've got to have that. Some would offer this as the following reasons that they would cite for why they come to that conclusion. In other words, stop the frivolous stuff. But you still have to have some very serious times that we do may need to take an oath. They would offer the following. There are Old Testament oaths. True. Some would say, even Jesus says, truly, truly. What does that mean? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Even Jesus draws attention to what he's about to say is true. Does truly, truly, when Jesus say, says that, does that mean that what he's about to say is really true as if the other was not true? No, doesn't mean that. Why does Jesus say truly true? I think he's drawing a special point of emphasis. I really need to listen to what I'm about to say because you people don't usually listen to what God says. Truly, truly, I say to you. So yes, Jesus does that, but that's not an oath necessarily. Others would offer this. Jeff, let's be honest, we live in a fallen world and not everybody's a Christian. And so we have to have a system. There has to be a way in our world where we differentiate between levels of truth and between levels of commitment and between levels of intensity and levels of accountability. People will say anything, and frankly, many Christians will lie, and so we have to have something where we're going to hold them to a higher standard, like really think about your answer. Do you promise, do you swear that you're going to? And so we still have to have that. Others will go the next step and say, hey, here's the kicker. God himself swears with oaths. Jeff, is that true? Absolutely, it is true. God, the book of Hebrews tells us, swears by himself because he cannot swear by someone over him. No one is higher than him. We swear by someone higher than us to gain their credibility, to borrow from them. God doesn't swear by anyone other than himself, and he does make these oaths to mankind. Here's the difference. God is always truthful. God never lies. God never has his fingers crossed. When God says there is a heaven and there is a hell, when God says the only way to heaven is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross, there is no other way. God is telling us the truth. God always tells the truth. God can never lie. That's one difference between us and God. So when he makes these sworn vows and sworn covenants with us, then God is always truthful. Second thing, you need to remember this. God is omniscient, and so he knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. Yeah, but Jeff, what if something comes up that he doesn't see? God is omnipotent. He has all power to make happen everything that he says is going to happen. He will see to it that what he has vowed and owed will be performed. And so there is no risk. There is no blasphemy. There is no lying with God. Very, very different. Jeff, I have one other problem. And so I'm going to be honest with the text this morning. I'm not going to look these up. 
Okay, I'm not going to look these up, but in all honesty, I have to acknowledge that the person who's teaching outside of the Lord Jesus is my favorite, Paul. Get what I'm about to say? Paul used God as a witness to certain things that he said. Okay, like what? Again, we're not going to look these up. Romans chapter 1, verse number 9. This is not a word for word, but here's what Paul does. He tells the Romans, I pray for you always. God, God is my witness. Paul, why did you do that? God is my witness, I pray for you always. Not a direct quote, but that's the idea. It doesn't mean I pray for you always, I never eat, I never sleep, I never minister to anyone else. What do you do your whole life? I always pray for the Romans. That's not what it means. It means I systematically, faithfully, when I'm praying for the churches, I always remember to pray for you Romans. God is my witness. Another one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Paul tells the Corinthians when things were kind of friction a little bit between he and the Corinthians. He says the reason I didn't come back down to Corinth was to spare you. God knows that's why. God knows my heart. The reason I didn't come is not because I was afraid of you. It's to spare you. I wanted to give you time to repent. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 8, Paul tells the Philippian church, he says, I have so much affection in my heart for you. The Lord is a witness. The Lord is a witness. He knows how much affection. I'm telling you, I have a lot of affection for you Philippians. Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 5, Paul says, I did not come down there to you and minister to you as a missionary for greedy reasons. The Lord knows. The Lord is a witness. I have not come for greedy reasons. And then the biggest one we know is Romans 9. Chapters, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, I tell the truth, I lie not. And he says his conscience is clear, and he calls the Holy Spirit of God as his witness that what he's going to say. In other words, what I'm about to say is so intense, it's so solemn, that I want you to know that I'm not saying it lightly. God is a witness. You say, what does he say? Here's what he says. I love my people, the nation of Israel, so much that if God would save all the Jews and let them go to heaven through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would let him send me to hell in their place. The Lord knows my heart. I'm calling God as a witness. And I'm reading that and I'm like, Paul, why are you doing this? In light of what Jesus says. But I'm going to offer to you that in those times that Paul does that catch this none of them are ever swearing by God promising what he will do in the future none of them ever do that he never says I swear by God you Romans that I will be there in a year from now he doesn't do that he always calls the Lord as a witness to what has already happened or what is true in his life at that moment and so that's the only times he does that and so I take I'm going to offer to you guys and you say, well, I'm going to have to make some adjustments. I'm going to offer to you that Jesus' prohibition in Matthew 5, verse 34, I say to you, do not take an oath at all, is that. I believe it's an absolute prohibition against swearing vows by God. Why, Jeff? Because it's often blasphemous and because it is risky and you do not have control of the future and you may not be able to follow through. And so why did you swear by God? You say, but Jeff, aren't there, now I'll concede this, there very well will be occasions where someone doesn't know us or what we're about to say is so heavy and weighty and intense that we may have to tell a person, now listen, listen, I do it when I'm preaching, listen, what I'm about to tell you is the truth. Does that mean what you've been saying is untrue? No. I want you to dial in and really listen what I'm about to say. So you swear that what you're, no, I'm not swearing. So that's not the truth. No, listen, it is the truth. So then you swear. No, I don't need to swear. 
but it's the truth. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't swear by God. Don't swear by not God. Drop oaths and swearing out of your life. That's how I think Christ is speaking to his people in Matthew 5. Second thought is very, very quick. Number two, insist on being honest. Look at verse 37. All right, so Jeff, what about those times when we do have to say that we're going to do something? Well, verse 37 is pretty clear. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jeff, what about the times when, are you, so will you do this? Yes. Did you do that? No. Are you sure? They think you did. I did not do that. Over here are these two people, and they disagree. What happened? What that one said happened. Yes to them. That one over there, I don't know if they're lying or if they're just fuzzy. I saw it, and they're telling the truth. Yes to them, no to them. What Christ is saying is his people are living in such a way that everybody who's looking at this exchange says, uh-oh, this one's telling the truth and not that one because we know this person. Wearsby words it this way. Words, which a lot of our society is built on, words depend on character, and oaths cannot compensate for poor character. If you're taking notes, write this down. What's Christ doing in verse 37? Christ, Jesus, is calling all of his people, all of us here this morning, to live so honestly. You don't have to call on God as a witness. You don't need to call on God as a witness. Why? Because you've lived so honestly that everyone knows that everything that you say is the truth. And when you say you will do something, you do it. And when you say you won't do something, you do not do it. And when you say something happened a certain way, it happened. Why? Because you live so honestly all of the time. I told you the second point would be short. You like that one, right? Very, very short. Number three. By the way, is that you? Are you the person at work that when a dispute needs settled and someone comes over the top with a swear that someone else says, hey, and they call your name? What do you think? And your word settles it. I'd love a church full of people that that's how we live. Not that we're perfect. We can make mistakes. But boy, if they say something, good chance that's how it happened. Number three, you'd think we wouldn't need to do this, and I won't spend too long on it, but I want to finish this morning with applications that call for caution. We need to apply this text because sometimes we can say, yep, need to be, need to be honest, and we need to stop swearing. Sounds good. Let's pray. Let's go home. I would like to do that, but I think we need to take a moment and give a sample. I mean a sample of how we could apply this. And I pray the Holy Spirit will do this with us this morning. We could go a lot of directions. I want to mention 7, 8, 9, 10. You ready? Here we go. Honest people, we're being called to honesty in verse number 37. Stop swearing. Live so that you don't have to swear. You don't have to call on someone greater. Your word stands on its own. You have your own credibility. Holy Spirit's worked in your life. You're an honest person. I'll propose to you again, I don't have time to develop this. Honest people pay their taxes. Ugh. Quickly move on to the say, yeah, we don't like that one. Number two, honest people give honest work for honest pay. A lot of you retired. Do y'all know that these things are an epidemic robbing employers? People turn in time cards that they worked 8, 9, 10 hours, that they worked 40 hours at the end of the week. But if you really watch them, they're doing this. 
They're stopping momentum of what they're doing. I'm not, I don't mean, I'm not talking about the ones that doing this is part of their work. I mean it's totally separate. They turn in a time card and they're constantly on this. Honest people don't rob their employers of time. Honest people don't turn in lies on their time card. You say, well, I'm on a salary. When you're on a salary, I realize some days may be a little bit shorter because other days get crazy. But we need at the end of the week look, be able to look back and say, they paid me an expectation to do that, and I did that. I worked what, was, what I was paid for at the end. It, it may have had a light day here and a light day there. Boy, there were some late times there. Uh, you can look back and say, this is what Christ is calling us. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yes, that's how much I work. Yes, I can in good conscience receive that paycheck. Copyright laws, quoting people. I literally had people years ago at another ministry try to encourage me. Jeff, like today I, I think I've had one quote. Last week, half the message was a quote, right? Stop doing that. What are you doing? Are you endorsing everyone that you ever quote? No, I'm not. Just, just say it and just get on with it. Oh, so you want me to steal their words and act like they're my own. No, that's being dishonest. Well, it takes too long for you to stop and say so-and-so said this and so-and-so wrote that. We are to be honest. Honest people are going to acknowledge when they've borrowed from someone else and taken their words, their idea. This one I want you to write down. Honest people do not frame their words to deceive. Technically, it didn't lie. Honest people don't even frame their words to deceive. Christ says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. I hope I don't regret doing this. It's a little humorous. I have a family member. This is years and years ago. This is years ago. And you've got to understand, I grew up in a family, liked to do a lot of hunting and fishing and things like that. We did a lot of raccoon hunting. We call it coon hunting, bear hunting, things like that. Not really a lot of deer hunters because we like doing stuff with dogs and stuff. So I had this family member who would deal with horses. And he once sold a man a horse. And he told him, this horse is a good, strong horse. Only problem, only real problem is it just doesn't look so good. And so the man's like, well, good, strong horse. I don't really care what it looks like. And so he saw him like, I don't see what the big deal looks fine to me. So he bought the horse. I don't know if he took him plowing or riding, but somewhere along the way after he got the horse, he realized the horse is blind. And so he gets a hold of my family member and says, you lied. About what? You sold me a blind horse. I told you he doesn't look so good. <laughs> I told you that. Same family member. Same family member. Sold a man a dog as a good coon dog. Told the man, kind of built up the dog, quick and agile and a good bark that matters to coon hunters. Good mouth, they call it, on their, on their the way they bark. Um, sold him and said, man, it'll tickle you to hear this dog trick coon. So the man bought the, the dog on his good word. That weekend, I think the way I heard it was, he took the dog and his other dogs, which were known to be good coon dogs, to Virginia, to an area where they knew the woods were full of coons. And sure enough, his dogs, his previous dogs, trailed up raccoons and treed them, and they had a good night. The only problem was, Friday night, this dog that he bought wouldn't get out from under his feet. Just act like a pup, running around, yapping around, dancing, getting in the way. 
could even when he got to the tree, he wouldn't tree, even though the others had the raccoon just literally walked up here 30 minutes ago. He won't even tree with the other dogs. Take him back out Saturday night. Maybe something was wrong. Sure enough, same thing. Gets back to Asheville. Let's my relative know you lied. How'd I lie? You sold me this dog saying it was a good coon dog. He says, no, I did not. I told you it would tickle you to hear that dog tree a coon. It would tickle me to hear that dog tree a coon. He won't tree a coon, and that's why I sold him to you. I can't get him out from under my feet. That's why I'm trying to sell him off on you. Did he lie? Not technically. It'll tickle you to hear this dog tree a coon. The man would love that to happen. It didn't. This horse doesn't look so good. Well, he doesn't. But he lied. That's, that's lying. Don't frame and connive and deceive. This, this next one is not on your handout. I don't even know why I'm throwing it in. Maybe it's a little pet peeve. Very quickly. Verse number 37 is calling us to be honest when we give a reference. Now, most of you are like, I've never been asked to give a reference in my life. Some of you have. Some of you will in the future. When you're asked to give a reference, be honest. Be honest. Why? You are the eyes and the ears of this business, this school, this ministry. They don't know this person. They're trusting your good word. Now, let, so be honest. We really like it, and I believe that when people ask the reference person to give a reference, the candidate should never see the reference. And that way the person is freed up to be honest. But whether they see it or not, be honest, God's watching. That's what Christ is calling for. Hey, you say that, or no, or yes, we're going by your word. Be honest. Along that line, let me also encourage you. Don't ask for people to give you a reference just because their title would look good on a resume. Don't do that. You put people in an awkward position. I can't remember who it is. This has happened more than once. Deanna would do these Bible studies for years over here at our, at our student center, long before I knew hardly anything about Grace View. Pastor Robbie would let her, and you guys would let her do these Bible studies. There'd be a whole room full of women, 50, 60, 70 women, week after week on Monday nights. And there would be these women that would come for like three or four Bible studies. And then they would get, like I have like a five-minute conversation after an hour and a half Bible study. No kidding. Years later, she gets an email. Could I use you as a reference? I came to your Bible studies back in 2014. She don't know them. You serious? Based off a five, two or three five-minute conversation I'm supposed to give? Don't do that to people. But if you're asked and you say, I'm just not comfortable, just say, hey, you know what? I don't know that I've seen you lately or I'm comfortable enough. Be honest. James chapter 4. Would you flip over there? Let's make another quick application that call for caution. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Pretty familiar passage. And again, this may only affect a segment of our congregation this morning, but it needs said. James writes in verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Look at it again. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. You need to get in on it. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Oh, it's going to be great. You need to get in on it. This is going to take place. What Jesus says in Matthew 5, 37 about being honest affects our business dealings. It affects our business dealings. You're in the business world. I know this is talking about other things here in James. It's talking about just arrogantly assuming that you're always going to live. But it's also teaching us about in our business. Catch this. It's one thing to be optimistic in a product. Like, I really believe in my product. I believe in this business model. Awesome. I love your, your, your enthusiasm and your zeal. And I would encourage you, if you don't believe in the product, what you're working in, then find something else. Get in something that you can back and be enthusiastic about. So there's one thing, being enthusiastic and optimistic. But it's a whole other thing to be unrealistic in making these crazy claims that you can't guarantee. In making these crazy, unrealistic claims and expectations that don't allow any margin. That don't allow for an act of God. Now you've got to get in on this. Listen, A, B, C, D, all the way up to W has happened. And I'll guarantee you X, Y, Z is going to happen. We acknowledge that past performance is a good indicator of future success, but it does not guarantee. And any of us, I think, if we're honest, would say, you know what, who we appreciate? We appreciate the person that sits us down and says, now, I'm going to work my hardest. I believe in this. I'm in it myself. That's how much I believe in it. You do what you want. I mean, I think you're on the ground floor. This is a, tr a tremendous opportunity. This has happened. I believe X, Y, Z is going to happen, but now listen, I can't guarantee it. Somebody else out there may guarantee it, but they can't really guarantee. They don't know what's going to happen. I believe. Do you want in? I have a whole lot more respect for that person than for the person who wills and deals. Very quickly as we finish up, go to Proverbs 17 because this actually has two of them over there. You may want to look at it. Proverbs 17. Look at verse number 18. Proverbs chapter 17. Look at verse 18. How do we apply the honesty that Christ calls for. Proverbs 17, verse 18. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Write this down. We need to pay our debts. We need to pay our debts. If we say we'll pay something, I'll give you this for that product or for that service, I'll give you this. I understand. It may take a while to pay it off, but we make those payments. Give me some time. I'm going to pay that off. But this text actually includes another thought. Not only are we to pay our debts, but multiple times in the book of Proverbs, we are to avoid, listen, this will keep us out of trouble, avoid co-signing with someone. Just avoid co-signing unless you say, but what if it's someone I really, really love and they're in a really hard place and they're not going to get the credit unless I co-sign for them? The only way that you should co-sign with someone is if you are willing to pay the debt in full with no expectation. In other words, they need a car. They don't have good credit. Could you help me? Just say no. I'm sorry. I can't. Unless you can honestly say, this person needs the car to get to their job, to earn some money, to live, and to make payments on the car. I believe they're good for it. I'll co-sign. If you do that, you need to know going in that if they wreck the car and can't get to work to make the money to pay for the car and other things, that you're on the hook for it. At that point, they call up and the bank says, hey, uh, they've been not, not making their last three payments. We need you to pick them up. Don't you go, uh-uh. 
uh-huh, your name's here, didn't you sign? Well, I did, but that's just to help them get the car. Well, then you're paying. Hey, what's going on? You're paying. You say, I don't want to do that. Don't co-sign. Verse 23. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Honest people do not give bribes. Honest people do not receive bribes. Jeff, do you even really talk about this? This doesn't really happen. Do <laughs> you guys know how much? We don't know how much. This goes on in Anderson County. This goes on in South Carolina. This goes on in the United States all the time. Do you know how many promotions? Happens all the time. Here's two people. Maybe even this one's qualified over this one. This one gets a promotion. Why? Because they promise the person who hires and promotes, they're going to get a kickback. They're going to do something favorable for them. This company over here gets the contract not because they were the best company, but because they promised a board or some senators that they're going to get an under-the-table kickback. That is wrong. That is sin. Honest people don't give bribes. Hey, come here. Let me. How about, will this help out? Oh, yeah. Jeff, does this apply to us going into the restaurant and spotting like a big $1 bill? How about a dollar? They get me moved? Whatever you want to try. Uh, I don't know that a dollar is going to get you much, but uh, at a good restaurant, maybe it. Fast food, but anyway, um, don't give bribes. You catch yourself down, you're getting ready to testify. A lot of people, this happened in Israel, that's why it was spoken against. People will offer money to get favorable resolutions in a criminal case. If, I've never had to do it, if you ever catch yourself testifying in a courtroom, listen, it is not the fear of penalty, of perjury that's going to keep you honest. It's the will of God and the fear of God that's going to keep you honest. It's not about perjury. That's secondary. I might go to jail. If that's what's keeping you honest, then you're not an honest person. You go in there and you tell the truth because it's the Lord's will and because you have a healthy fear of God. Do the right thing. Lastly is Psalm 15. Would you look at Psalm 15? Well, not even read the fifth verse, just the first four, focusing on verse four. Psalm 15, O Lord, so here's an application of honesty. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? What kind of people get to live with you? Verse two is the answer. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, speaks truth in his heart, so there's no deception in there. Verse three, what kind of people live with the Lord, get to dwell with the Lord? Verse three, he who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. What kind of people get to dwell with the Lord? Verse 4, he in whose eyes a vile person is despised, so they don't call evil good. Verse 4 in the middle, but who honors those who fear the Lord, so they acknowledge those who are doing the right thing. But look at the end of verse 4. Who is it that gets to dwell with the Lord? He who swears to his own hurt. Thought we weren't supposed to swear. But when it's done, when you've promised, when you've swear, sworn, when you've put yourself into something, then you, you're willing to swear even to your own hurt. And you don't change. Honest people honor their commitments. Honest people honor their commitments. I haven't lived long enough to make this an absolute statement, but I feel like in my lifetime, can I say this? I feel like people don't commit to as much anymore. Uh, if I can, I'll get there. I I'll help when I can. I just feel like people are slower. I don't want you to take what I'm about to say as a reason to say, that's why I'm not, I don't want to commit. 
Because you can end up, listen, you can end up living your life having done nothing because you were always afraid to be part of something that God was calling you to. So if the Lord is calling you to be part of something, then be part of it. But here's the thought I want to leave you with. When opportunity is presented, hey, and in a moment of exciting recruitment, don't just quickly launch out and put your name to it. Yeah, put me down. Don't do that. Check your schedule. Check your calendar. Put the two together. Check with whoever else it needs. I'll have people like, hey, next Sunday, can this and this and this, you and Deanna, you know what I always say. If you've ever asked me that, you guys know what I say. Uh, let me see what she's got in store. Because I don't want to tell you, oh, yeah, we're good. We'll be there. And then Friday, hey, yeah, we've got to back out. Be part of everything God wants you to be part of. But don't be so quick to put your name to something and just as quick to back out. Happens all the time. People say they're part of something. They're dependent on. People are counting on them. But something funner, something less costly comes up and they'll bail on them in a heartbeat. Sign up real quick. Bail out just as quickly. You know what that is? That is lying. Well, I didn't know. I didn't find out. Till it, right. Be slow to sign up. Sign on to what the Lord leads, but be slow to arrive at that. Don't be quick. And then be slow to move out of it. Are there emergencies? Absolutely, things happen. But there are sometimes some folks, they're just all the time getting out of that. Get out. I'm not being mean. I'm going to finish with this. You're going to sound like I'm, Jeff sounds like he's mean. We want you to come to Wednesday nights. We want you to come to Wednesday nights. And to do that, we need to order the food by Tuesday at noon. I want you to come. Jeff, you're going to kill Wednesday, Wednesday night suppers by what you're about to say. No, we want you to come. But we need you to tear that out. And we realize that sometimes things happen and you can't come. But if you tear that out and you put that in and Mr. Renee makes a whole list, all these people are coming on Wednesday night and we order that and they're going to charge us and all of a sudden, where's so-and-so? Oh, they didn't come. Well, we just ate. That, the food's going to go to waste, and we're still going to have to pay. Does it happen sometimes? Sure, stuff comes up. But if it's just, ah, I didn't feel like going, that's poor character. That goes against what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5. Man, I'm mean today, right? Jeff somehow drug out well over an hour a message what should have been taken 10 minutes. Listen, don't swear. Don't take oaths. Don't draw in the name of the Lord blasphemously. Is your word good? Can you be counted on? Give me about, I hope, about 90 seconds. I'm not swearing to that. I'm going to try to say it. Years and years ago, there's a, there's a Christian camp up near Rosman, North Carolina. It's called the Wilds. There was a couple's retreat. And Deanna and I were invited to go. Somehow it was already paid. Someone backed out. It was offered to us. We went. That was in, I think the problem was my jealous ways. Man, jealousy was just causing so much problem. We both had it. At a couple's retreat, <laughs> we're just clashing. Silent treatment. Sitting on the smile as we're around everybody. Back in our room, nothing. Silence. The last night they have this thing that they do where they make a fire 
And if things are right between you and the Lord and you and people, then you go by and you take a stick to acknowledge that things are right between you and the Lord and it represents your life to be used and burned up and consumed for the Lord and things are right between you and Him. And so everybody there, there's like 150 people at this camp and they all line up. And Dr. Hay was kind of moderating the, camp, the conference and he goes by one by one. Those of you that are in the Fremont Inn, would you come by if you can put your stick in the fire? And it's just very ceremonially. And there sat Deanna and I. And we didn't talk, but I'm thinking, I cannot go up there and put a stick in the fire. And she apparently was thinking the same thing. I'm telling you, that guy, he calls out this room and these cabins and the cabins through here and those that are in the lodge. We were in the lodge. And he and went around. And I can feel him literally staring. We're sitting about where the cows are. And Dr. Hay is up here, and he's finally he's looking. All right, I think I've called everyone's area. If I've not called your area and you need to come, come now. <laughs> and there we sit. And I think I finally just went. <laughs> that was so embarrassing. So embarrassing. I'm thinking everybody in here knows it's us. I don't know if they did or not. He did. But I didn't want to lie before God. Let's go up. Yeah, good. Hey, throw my stick in. Don't do that. Don't do it. Be honest. Keep your word. Jesus tells the truth. We should too. Let's pray. Father, Lord, would you take just a moment and work in our hearts? Lord, if any of us have made a vow to you, we've not been quick to pay. Lord, it may be a vow of stopping some sin, turning from some sin. It may be a vow of like starting to give monetarily. In a moment of clear teaching from your word or devotional time, you made it clear that we're supposed to do something and someone here vowed to do that, but when it came down to doing it, they were like Ananias and Sapphira and backed out and got greedy. Lord, rekindle that. Let them follow through. Maybe someone told you they were going to read your word or pray or minister to a person. Lord, bring it back to our minds. Lord, if anyone here makes a habit, just, just bad habit, of just using the word swear, I'll bet you a million dollars. Taking your name in vain. God, cleanse our mouth, cleanse our heart. And Lord, let us be truth tellers. Lord, let us not hold the gospel inside as a form of lying when we know the answer to those around us, their greatest need of a Savior. May we not sit on the truth. May we not deceive. May we not lie on our time cards. Lord, may we be honest in our taxes and in our references and in our business practices. And Lord, thereby give you a good name because you're worthy of it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Have a great day. Enjoy your day.